Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, but today is not the Decrypt Daily. It is a new podcast from Decrypt Media called GM or Good Morning, hosted by Editor-in-Chief Dan Roberts and Executive Editor Jeff John Roberts. Today, they're going to be talking to Sam Bankman-Fried. And if you like this episode, please go over to wherever you're listening to your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe. This podcast is coming out every other Tuesday. So this Tuesday, they have a new episode coming out. It'll be episode number two. Before we get into the episode, I want to tell you today's prices. We have Bitcoin sitting at $37,950, up 1.1%. Ethereum is at $2,610, up 2.5%. Tether's number three, Binance Coin is at 380, down 0.6%. And USDC is number five. Running off the top 10, we have Cardano, Solana, XRP, Luna, and Dogecoin. Total market cap rate at 1.72 trillion, a BTC dominance of 41.7, and a net dominance of 18.1. I'm recording this at 11.40 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday, January 30th. 2022. And now, without further ado, here is Decrypt Media's new podcast hosted by Dan Roberts and Jeff John Roberts, and they're going to be talking to Sam Bankman Fried. Don't forget to go over to wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe. They're going to be interviewing some of the biggest names in the crypto space, long form podcast coming out every other Tuesday. Enjoy. GM, Jeff. (laughs) GM, Dan. Well, here we go. I'm pumped to start this pod with you. And great first guest coming up. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF of FTX. And FTX is everywhere. But I also feel like, I mean, you tell me, I feel like a year ago, we barely knew about FTX. I mean, it's been around barely longer than that anyway. But talk about a massive glow up in 2021. Yeah, Dan, we've both been covering crypto for a long, long time, almost 10 years. And I'm trying to recall someone who's risen this fast, this suddenly. I mean, you know, CZ comes to mind. He kind of came out of nowhere, too. But um, SBF also, too. I mean, he's suddenly just dominating American marketing. He's all over sports. He's everywhere. And really looking forward to digging in, finding out where he came from, how he did it, and where he's going. Yeah. And with someone like him, there's so much there. I mean, we'll talk to him for a long while, but I'm sure we won't even get through everything we want to ask him. I mean, you know, some listeners may know in in a past life, I covered crypto and sports business equally. And of course, what's fun for me is those two beats are now converging more than ever before. But FTX jumping into sports is obviously super fascinating to me. I mean, I've had the chance to ask Sam this a couple of times in the last eight months, but does the sports marketing stuff really work? I mean, suddenly they've got an FTX patch. Think about this, an FTX logo patch on every single MLB umpire's uniform. That's crazy. I mean, that is major saturation and major eyeballs for baseball games. But what does it lead to? Like, what's hard for me to imagine is a person is watching a Miami Heat game or a MLB game, and they see the FTX name and they go, 
Oh yeah, I've heard about that. I think I'm going to go buy some crypto right now and I'm going to use FTX to do it. It's like, eh. well, I guess we're going to find out. You're thinking deeper than me. I just want to ask him if he actually likes sports. I've had a couple of people. I know he's a big uh, League of Legends player, but let's, I'm, let's, I'm going to ask what his favorite sports team is. Totally. And of course, uh, you know, as we chat with him, we just saw him testify in, in Congress and became the subject of all these memes. You know, I also want to just ask him, how does he deal with this? I mean, suddenly people, you know, his admirers like Photoshop his face onto memes on Twitter and everyone went nuts about his uh, sloppily tied dress shoes it's just so funny. So here's like kind of a geeky quant type guy who's suddenly a celebrity. Yeah. What's it like being famous? Let's ask him that too. Well, you know what, Dan, I, I think he's about to join us. So why don't we uh, bring him in and, and put all this directly to him? Here we go. All right. All right. Sam Begman fried GM, welcome. Thanks for having me. So let's dive in this way. You know, we recently at Decrypt named you our founder of the year. Let's just talk about from a bird's eye view the year you had in 2021. I mean, in some ways, people feel, even people in crypto, that FTX and you kind of came out of nowhere. I'm sure it doesn't feel that way for you, but insane growth. Would you say that 2021 has been the biggest year you've had? And, and what are your high-level takeaways? What were the highlights for you? It certainly has been the biggest year that we've had. And I guess every year has felt like the biggest year that we've had when it happened. Uh, but this, this certainly more so than the ones before it. Uh, I don't think it, it felt to us completely like it came out of nowhere, partially just because I think a lot of it was flowing from things that we had done before, and that just sort of took some time to percolate through the system. But, I, you know, I mean, our volume is up, you know, probably 30x or so in the last year, and, uh, and it, it's really been a sea change for the platform. So it, it's been really cool to to watch. Um, and, you know, some of that is just the growth of the industry overall, but some of them, you know, some of that's also been idiosyncratic FTX growth, which has been super cool. Uh, neat, Sam. I'd love to jump in as Jeff here. Um, I'm curious, what's it been like for you on a personal level? Because, you know, you've gone from sort of being, you know, Sam to SPF, crypto celebrity. And I'm just wondering, what's that like? I mean, it's got to be pretty cool in some respects, but is there drawbacks? Like, has it changed you? So what's what's it like being famous? Yeah, it's a good question. It's uh, mostly doesn't impact my life very much, but but some of that's because I mean, mostly I'm, I'm mostly I'm working, right? Like, and and as long as I'm working, things are mostly the same. I you know in, internally, but it's certainly like I don't know. There are a lot of people coming out of the woodwork who I sort of haven't you know spoken to in a very long time. I uh, you know there's been that, and so you know, around the edges, you can start to see some some real impact of it. Although, by and large, I think things are mostly as they have been. But, but I, I think, you know, bit by bit, day by day, at, at least sort of outwards facing parts of my life have, have changed a, a little bit. Like when you walk down the street, do people know who you are? Or Like, not never, but like, like not usually, you know, I, I think it's sort of like, I don't know, probably happens to me. I uh, once a week or something right now. So enough that, that I sort of like have taken note of it, but not enough that it's like, you know, really impacting my routine. Okay. So you've kind of hit the sweet spot of celebrity then. You get to kind of be known and be rich and popular, <laughs> but you also get to be left alone most of the time. For now, I suspect I don't have a whole lot of say on exactly where that uh, ends up on that balance. Well, Sam, it's fun to kind of get inside baseball, meta, media. So just sticking with this, I mean... Do you enjoy doing this 
talking to journalists like us? I mean, do you enjoy the media part? Because not every crypto exec does. Many will never talk to us. And, and we kind of appreciate how available you are. Yeah, I do kind of enjoy it. And I think a big part of that is just thinking of it to myself as just talking about stuff, about my life, about, you know, my work and about the things that, that I've been thinking about rather than thinking of it as like PR or something like that. Because if you think of it as PR, then it, it's it's sort of, it's, it's not just like a chore, but it, it's sort of like a kind of nerve wracking chore. I mean, you're, you're kind of sitting there the whole time you know, being like, oh boy, please don't fuck up. Please don't fuck up. Please don't fuck up. But if you think about it, it's just like, whatever, like just chatting about the stuff that I'm into. It, 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 it's just like, I don't know, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting. And, and, and I think that obviously, you know, being, being a reporter in the space selects for having a lot of interesting things that you're thinking about. And, and so, so overall, I do, I do think I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, Sam, we'll move on to like the crypto stuff in a minute. But if you don't mind, I'd just like to ask a couple more sort of more personal questions just because yeah. you're suddenly everywhere. And people like to know kind of, you know, it's a funny thing. I've interviewed executives for a long time. And as they get further along, they sort of clean up the story and there becomes like the official narrative, right. you know, right. but, you know, it sort of becomes a rigid biography, you know, the sort of the party line. But, you know, you're still sort of seem to be very open to, you know, discussing honestly about who you are, where you came from. So tell us a little bit about yourself, like, you know, in high school or college before you came, you know, became SPF crypto star. Who were you? What did you like? What were you into? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like a sense. There's a sense in which I was very similar. And I think that sense is the one in which um, I thought similarly in a lot of ways. But I, I sort of just didn't, I don't know, I didn't do anything about it. Like I was very, I don't know, lame is almost the word I think I, <laughs> I, I, I sort of didn't say anything or do anything is like how, how I conceive of myself. And I think like certainly going back to like, you know, middle school, like whenever I think about it, I just get like very, very confused about how I managed to fill up 24 hours in a day. It just seems like implausible to me, given what I was doing that like, that all those hours were filled and, and somehow I, it's like, I, I can only name like 13 hours worth, even if you include sleep. So, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I was not, I think I was never really that into being a kid, e even as a kid. Uh, it, it wasn't, wasn't, I think what I was excited about. Um, and I think that got a lot better, you know, when I sort of got into to, to college but I don't know, I was nerdy. I, I was sort of into math and physics and uh, like playing games. You know, I, I like hadn't really thought about what I wanted to do with my life in any meaningful sense. Did you read much sci-fi, Sam? Like nowadays with the metaverse and everything, I feel like people are rediscovering Snow Crash and, you know, Cryptonomicon, Neuromancer, things like that. You were a reader? Well, I was a reader until I was like eight. And then I had to start reading for school and I absolutely fucking hated it. <laughs> and I just stopped reading entirely, like not just for school, but, but in all ways, school definitely ruined reading for me. Is there no question about that? Maybe it's a little sad. I mean, I, I certainly think in retrospect that a big part of this is like, it just isn't the medium that I like. I think I like shorter form more. I think very few people, like I think very few people have like 500 pages worth of things that it makes sense for them to say like i think usually by page 500 it's sort of a stretch 
But I mean, some people do. And, and you know, maybe it's a little sad that, that I sort of have lost some of that. I don't know. More comfortable on Twitter. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I think that is like a medium that I just feel, I, I mean, I think sometimes it's, it's too short and like people just like can't even get out like a real coherent thought. But, but I think that it forces people, you know, I think sometimes it's good to force people to be really concise. Turning to when you got into crypto, Sam, one thing I find somewhat refreshing about you is, uh, you know, talk to these crypto founders and usually they're right away, you know, falling over themselves to say how they're doing it to change the world and they're going to, you know, improve people's lives and spread democracy and stuff, which is all great. And, you know, maybe you want to do that too, don't we all? But, you know, often they're just the most interested in getting very rich quickly. So I'm kind of curious, like what, how did you get the bug? Was it just the rush of making a lot of money? Was it the technology? You know, what pulled you in? Yeah, I mean, at the very beginning, it was absolutely, you know, something that I saw as a way to make money. You know, when I first got involved in crypto, uh, this was late 2017, I was coming at it from the perspective of like, these markets seem really inefficient. And, you know, that makes me think there's a trade to do here. If if I did this right, maybe I could make money doing that. That that was that was where it came from. And it ultimately sort of evolved into to much more than that. But but I, I didn't really know what a Bitcoin was when I first got into crypto. And and said my my ultimate goal was was just to be able to donate whatever I could. And I'd been doing that on Wall Street. And it seemed like maybe there was a good opportunity to do that. I don't know. There's Wall Street. There's Main Street. Is there a Crypto Street? Is there like a fifth street? I don't know. <laughs> crypto Alley. Yeah. Crypto Alley. Yeah. Probably It's probably Union Square, New York. Which, uh, by the way, you mentioned... <laughs> You mentioned to Congress that you're no longer in Hong Kong. Where are you living these days? Tell us about the move. Yeah, so I'm in the Bahamas now, and it's uh, it's really nice here. I'm uh, happy to be here. I think it's it's a great place for us to be for for just a number of reasons. I think like one piece of this is, I mean, the biggest piece is just regulatory. There is an actual regulatory framework for crypto in the Bahamas, and that describes very few places on Earth right now. Um, almost every place is currently in, you know, basically a state of disarray and uncertainty. And, you know, that will change over time, but that's where we are today. And I, that's, that's not ideal. Um, so I, so that's, that's by far the biggest thing, you know, outside of that, like really, uh, I mean, it's super convenient, conveniently located, no quarantine that, I mean, that, you know, I, whatever, it's a, it's a wild, fucked up world we live in. But in this wild, fucked up world, that's one of the things that matters the most, I guess, is like, are you even able to get like into a place and out of it? You know, is that legal? And it's, it's a little weird. That that's the world we're in, but, but it is the world we're in. You know, that, that's another great thing about the Bahamas. And, and then, you know, it's, it's a great place to live. And, you know, we've been able to hire a lot of people we're really excited about here. Um, fair enough on getting in and out. But uh, you were in Washington, D.C. recently. And I'm curious, what was that like? I mean, yeah. you know, it's still kind of got to be a big deal to walk into Capitol Hill. And were you like sort of, you know, feeling like, you know, patriotic and odd or were you just sort of bored or what was that experience like? Oh, I think it always feels a little bit patriotic. I, I, I think that that's an appropriate word. I think maybe more so than younger me would have expected. Um. Uh, I think I sort of like would maybe have expected that whatever that serves some sentimental feeling, it's not super relevant here or something like that. Um, but, but, but I do feel it. And, 
you know, I guess that like it's very uh, I mean, it's been really interesting being at the forefront of crypto regulatory thought. I uh, and and actually getting to see sort of each part of this process work up close. A lot of it isn't maybe how I thought it would be. I mean, whatever the world is is weird and contingent in so many ways. And and every year I decide the world is a little bit weirder and a little bit more contingent than I thought it was the year before. That's like certainly the case in the crypto regulatory ecosystem right now. I uh, that it, it's very much sort of balanced on a knife's edge in a lot of places in a lot of ways. And a lot of ways that I think are like super interesting. Uh and, and are gonna have really profound impacts on the the ecosystem. I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from testifying was that it was really productive and reasonable. And that was sort of like there are a lot of reasons not to expect that that was going to be the takeaway. But but I think it was. And I think that like I really did just get the sense of like there were a lot of representatives there, most of whose aim seemed to be like figure out what was going on in crypto, ask questions which would help them get there, you know, rather than like they had their point they wanted to make and they were going to make that point. Yeah, I confess I was pleasantly surprised because I've watched these before and it's usually just kind of people strutting for YouTube and getting like the dunk clip. So I thought it was going to be one of those. But I was very impressed at the sort of thoughtfulness and the preparedness of our members of Congress, go figure, with one yeah. or two exceptions. But that said, um, we wrote a, published a column recently on Dems are blowing the Bitcoin vote, which I think is the case. I just, you know, because we saw a lot of young Democrats that hearing asking very good questions, even the progressives. Um, and yet the party is dominated in terms a crypto policy by Elizabeth Warren, Gary Gensler, Janet Yellen, that crew. And I'm kind of curious, you know, you are Joe Biden's biggest donor. Do you think the Democrats are making a mistake, the senior leadership, by taking the approaches they are? And have you shifted your sort of, you know, inclinations for who you're going to give money to next cycle? Yeah, I guess a bunch of things there uh, to, to unpack. The first thing that I'll say, um, and, and probably the most important thing, is like, obviously, this is what I do with my life is, 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 you know, work in the digital asset ecosystem. And it's incredibly important to me. I'm fortunate to be in a position where it's what is incredibly important to me because my life is, I know I'm, I'm privileged. We're all privileged in, in, in a lot of ways. There are a lot of things that are really important in the world that don't look like this to a lot of people. And, and so, so I think that's like one really big and important piece of context is like when it comes to sort of my, my my giving in the space, like a lot of that has nothing to do with with any of this. Like a lot of that is coming from the perspective of, of like what what you know what can I do to try and help out the world. Completely putting aside, you know, where I in particular am, am coming from. Putting that aside for a sec, I think that there is certainly a risk for the Democrats that that they sort of blow the the crypto vote. So to speak, I think, and again, I think the hearing made me feel a lot, a lot better uh, about it. Like it, it made me feel a lot more like, you know, it seemed like they're approaching it from an eminently reasonable perspective coming from an angle of, of again, in, inquisitiveness, um, you know, and, uh, and trying to figure out what the right thing to do is. I definitely don't think that like anything has been written down yet you know, written in stone yet mm. in terms of how this is going to turn out. And, and I remain like 
I don't know if remains even quite the right word. So I think I think I've become cautiously a, a bit more optimistic over time about this that that it is going to end up end up in a reasonable position. And, and I think the hearing was a good example of that. And, and I think that like even the players who I think are often seen as as monolithic in their approach often aren't. I think that that like you know, there's there's a completely reasonable tendency to treat, you know, basically treat people as their as their caricatures, and sometimes people are their caricatures. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that that that's never correct, but I, I think often it's not. I think often the the real truth is actually substantially more nuanced than that, and that you know their caricatures do not do justice. To where they're actually coming from here, and and I, I think that is very much going on in this particular case. That's just very much the case that like most of the people are coming at this from I think a much healthier position than is generally believed, and and, and that that the the things that seem sort of caricature ish to people often I don't know it, it's a weird corner of what's going on or or something it's you know not representative of the larger whole and that more generally you know they do have kind of reasonable goals and and i'm not going to say that's true of everyone but i but I, I think it's true of some people that you mentioned for instance and you know i think that like a lot of people might have done some pattern matching i think i might treat myself as guilty of this and guess that like aoc was going to come out bomb throwing in 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 the congressional hearing like i think that that would be kind of like if that if you saw that title that headline i think you'd be like yeah maybe it would be more of a headline if that didn't happen or something right but but in fact like she had i think i mean one of the most informed one of the most interesting lines of questioning she was really sharp really responsive i think like like kind of knocked it out of the park on, on that in a way which was not you know, didn't particularly feel you feel like it was you know pro crypto or or anti crypto. It was just sort of you know, and, and so I think that like that that we sometimes do a disservice by by writing people off too quickly. Well, and you're certainly right that one particularly vitriolic soundbite can become amplified. I mean, you know, Elizabeth Warren comes out and says crypto is shadowy super coders, and that gets amplified across the landscape. Oh, certainly. Uh, Sam, if we if we stick with regulation, but go beyond just like political party and go global, I mean, especially because, you know, part of the reason you're in the Bahamas, what do you think of the people, and there are many in crypto, a lot of them OGs, you know, Eric Voorhees of Shapeshift and others who just say the U.S. has kind of already blown it. Companies and projects and protocols are going to leave the U.S. You know, it's it's like something I say to people is that the ICO boom didn't really end. I mean, you still have new token launches all the time. But a lot of them just say, well, forget the U.S. then. You know, we'll just launch them outside the U.S. to avoid. Uh, is there hope, you know, for kind of the U.S. establishing a, a more friendly landscape? Because a lot of people are kind of already, they feel like they've already closed the book on, on the U.S. being a good place to, to build in crypto. Well, I think I'd flip that around a little bit, like, yeah. especially in terms of the tenses, right? Like, you're saying, like, are people already going to start leaving the, 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 the U.S.? because of the regulatory framework i think it, i think it's the opposite i think for the last four years most of crypto has been going on offshore because of the regulatory framework like this isn't a new thing 
this has been true. This is, in fact, really central to the nature of the crypto ecosystem today. And if you look at, I mean, what fraction of volume, I mean, just look up numbers from today, um, you know, what fraction of volume today is happening on U.S. exchanges? Um, you know, I'm seeing out of $172 billion or so of volume, I'm seeing less than 10 of that coming from the United States, 5%, 95% offshore. 5% is not the United States you know, general fraction of economic activity. I think like 30% is maybe what you would guess, right? So this just has been the nature of the crypto ecosystem for uh, at least the last five years. I'm like cautiously optimistic. And I do want to emphasize the cautiously there that the movement might actually be in the opposite direction, that the movement might actually be onshore. I don't think you see that right now. I don't think you're seeing onshore movement. And it's for the same regulatory reasons that you haven't seen it, right? Like every other asset class, the majority of volume is in futures. And there are only six players in the United States licensed to offer futures contracts. And most of them are not interested in, in crypto, or at least have not historically been. I think a lot of, whatever, there, a lot has been written on the question of what Categorization, you know, categorization, digital assets fall into whether some are securities. If so, which ones? Uh, well, certainly some are. I, uh, you know, and, and I think that, like, again, that's I, I don't want to say that that's like been miraculously fixed overnight. What what I would say though is, like, I would not be shocked if massive progress was made on that in the next year or two, to the point where you know you might see a tripling of the fraction of of liquidity and volume that was onshore. You know, I think that's probably our single biggest priority right now is to see if we can help help bring that about. So yeah, I think things are in some sense way worse than, than that you know, implied, but, but I also think maybe things are getting better. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Well, Sam, speaking about onshore, one thing that's definitely onshore, even if most of crypto not, is crypto companies, including your logo, all over Major League Baseball and sports. Yep. And other people are jumping in too. But there's, I find a bit of a, like a paradox here in the sense that I dabble in crypto just so I know what's going on. But one thing I don't do is trade derivatives or futures. And you know why? Like I look at it like flying an airplane. That's something like you only do if you really know what you're doing. Because if not, you're just going to get eaten. And I think most Americans, most people don't trade futures contracts, and yet FTX is having such an outside presence. Is that going to change? Like, do you have aspirations to kind of bring crypto to the everyman who's not out there like slinging puts and calls? Yeah. So, you know, internationally right now, the bulk of our volume is futures and derivatives. And as you sort of, you know, guess would be the case given that uh, internationally right now, the bulk of our volume is, is power users. You know, the vast majority of, of, of the trading volume is coming from sophisticated users of the platform, um, whether they're institutions or whether they're, um, you know, professional traders. The, the crypto ecosystem in the United States has been sort of deprived of that piece. And so instead, what we've had is, is the retail phenomenon, right, that, that Coinbase, Robinhood and others 
have really come to signify. That's something that we are hoping to be able to get much more involved in over time and that we're hoping to, you know, to be able to, to, to leave our marks in. But it's going to take a lot of work, I think, for us to get there. Um, I think we have a lot to, to offer this space and, you know, lower fees, new technology and disintermediating everything. I'm super excited about it. Uh, you know, when you look at the, first of all, when you look at the, the branding that we've been doing in, in the U.S. aimed at Americans, that's for FTX U.S., which doesn't offer derivatives. Um, and so that is much more on the kind of retail consumer side. By the same note, though, the primary goal of it thus far hasn't been conversions, so to speak. It hasn't been, let's try to get everyone to like do a lot of trade um, and and like sign up, which is which is interesting. Sort of like, I don't know, in some sense, like, well, what else would you be doing if not that? Um, right. Yeah. Right. And the answer is actually a lot. Uh, and you know, who are the people that that you know we're thinking about with this with the branding campaigns? like rewinding to where we are, we've been product first and we're not name brand first, right? We have three times Coinbase's uh, daily trading volume. They have 25 times our registered user count. Um, they've done absolutely phenomenally in terms of getting their, their name out there and being a trusted brand in the United States. If we just go spam Facebook right now with ads, right? People are like, oh, great, another scammy crypto ad. That's not exciting, right? Before that would even make sense, we have to tell stories about who we are, both to potential users, also to institutional partners. That's much more how we're thinking about, uh, you know, the uh, the partnerships. Well, and and Sam, let's drill down on that just a little more. I mean, you know, I have a particular interest in sports business. When we spoke at uh, the SALT conference in New York, I asked you about this and whether you are yet seeing data showing the success of the sports marketing. And it's, it's interesting what you just said about, you know, we're not necessarily going for conversions, but of course, you know, you do the Miami Heat arena and, and you get your patch on every MLB ump. It's obviously going to suddenly become more of a name than before, not even to mention the TV ads with, you know, the moon man, the Brady stuff. And so I guess I'd ask, you know, whether you would already say it's been a hit and whether the spend makes sense. And I'll share with you that uh, someone from a different rival exchange recently was trying to say, and of course, take it at, you know, whatever value you take it at, but, you know, oh, that's not our approach. We're not going to do the FTX and crypto.com thing of just throwing a bunch of money into sports. I mean, what, what would you say to the sort of skeptics who, who think that that's not the right marketing approach? Well, first of all, you know, made the best man win. I mean, maybe we're wrong, right? That's fine. I, I, you know, I think it's more interesting if we disagree on the right approach. Uh, but, but okay, you know, more, more seriously, um, I think that if you if you measure it by, you know, something like downloads per dollar spent on advertising, it's not going to come out well. Like it just it isn't going to look good by that metric. That's not the metric that it's aiming to look good by. You know, it's aiming to look good by a different metric. And what's the most compelling evidence that I can bring about the impact that it's had on our business? Uh, there are some statistics we have, but but let me actually, like, I think, go with maybe a much more direct response. In the last five minutes, new evidence has been brought to my attention that this has had a really big impact. And that evidence is you deciding it was important to ask me about it. <laughs> 
right? Like you're an example of a person for whom clearly this was effective. That's interesting. I mean, I knew FTX already, but it's reached a sort of saturation point. Yeah. But, 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 you know, if you sort of like rewind to like yourself, but who knew us less well, right? It's not JC, like everyone we talk to who knows us a little bit, a lot, barely, intimately, this is top of mind for them. Like clearly this has penetrated more than everything else we've done combined in terms of people's perception of us. Uh, not in terms of installs per dollar spent though, right? And so if that's what you're maximizing for, I yeah, I don't I'm I'm I don't I don't necessarily want to vouch for it. But that that's sort of how it hasn't been. Yeah, it's anecdata, you feel like. Yeah. What about specifically esports? That's one I'm a little more skeptical of. I mean, are you, you're a big esports believer. You guys are sponsoring a team. How has that done yep. versus, you know, something like MLB or having Tom Brady in ads is arguably a lot more uh, mainstream. Yeah, I, and I think that, I, on the one hand, I, I think that's, like, absolutely correct. And that, like, I, you know, the amount of uh, brand impact has been much bigger from the esports side than it has from the, the not the not esports side, you know, traditional right. sports side. The the flip side of that, I guess, it, you know, I would say is again, it's a different audience. And to some audience, not to most, but to some audience, it's like the most impactful thing in the world. So it's a much more targeted thing at a particular audience that we think there's high overlap with. Uh, but you know, that's not the be all and end all. And it's sort of like some of the metrics are 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 shockingly high there by some metrics. But again, this is a weird thing because this isn't almost isn't a metrics driven thing in some ways. So I I, I don't know. I, I think that went a little bit in between in terms of what it's accomplishing. Yeah, Sam, I'd love to jump in for one sec and ask, I'd love to comment someone was tweeting during your congressional hearing. This is the first time they've seen you doing something without also playing League of Legends at the same time. So are you playing League of Legends right now? Uh, I I will uh, narrowly answer your question and confirm that I'm not playing League of Legends right now. You're playing something else, okay? But just out of curiosity, um, you're you're splashing your logo on you know every big sports team. Do you are you actually a sports fan yourself, or is this just sort of like a an experiment, or you know why MLB, why basketball? Yeah, um, so I am sort of a sports fan more so than I to to a decent extent. I am. I like having things going on in the background. Is a big piece of this. I really enjoy that. Um, and I find it, it, it really stimulating. And uh, I generally find it pretty difficult to not multitask. Like it, it just, it's kind of, I, I don't know, really grates on me. So I will often have a few, I mean, whatever, on, on Sunday, I'll, I'll usually have a few games up at once in the background. Yeah, we'll pivot to coins in just a sec. But so who are your favorite sports teams? You're a Bay Area guy, right? So are you sort of a, um, uh, you know, SF Giants fan or who's your teams? Yeah, Giants were my hometown team growing up. And baseball was the sport that I watched the most when I was young. I, I've, I, I now watch, in addition, a fair bit of football and, and, and sometimes basketball. And, uh, you know, in, in terms of uh, football, I guess I'll just note that I sort of matured in the uh, Boston area at college and that that had substantial impact on uh, on my uh, football following. Brady. Well, Dan's going to like that. I'll give it to you here, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a Boston guy too. I, I was actually just going to ask you for fun, Sam, if if you have struck up a real life friendship with with Tom Brady through all this. He's a, he's a really cool guy. Um, I mean, I haven't spent that much time talking to him, but 
But but I mean, that, that was a big thing for us was like, does this feel legit? You know, like, does this feel to us like this person's going to be excited about this partnership? And with him, it just definitely did. And, and with a lot of people, you get a sense like, look, I mean, it's, they think it's fine. They're not like rebelling against it, you know, <laughs> but, but, but it's not like that's what they're here for or anything like that. Like it was, you know, it's very much just a, a just a gig for them. Um, but but it was clearly more than that for him. And so I think that that was pretty meaningful to us. Uh, okay, yeah, so we should be talking some more pure crypto here. Obviously, this year, one of the big events was the rise of Solana, which, you know, is kind of, you know, burst in as the closest thing to a real Ethereum challenger we've seen. But I'm curious, just kind of at the macro level in the next couple of years, what you're seeing. Um, as a reporter, I'm sort of not puzzled, but there's so many chains, you know, I just wonder if there's room. Do they all have a lane? You know, Avalanche has had a great year. Solana's a force, you know, and then this Cardano, which I think is, you know, my opinion, a pretender. But point being, there's sort of like 10 or 15 of these chains. They're all saying they're going to be it. You know, is it going to be like a Darwinian thing where there's only going to be like three left at the end? Or is it kind of like a Kumbaya thing where everyone's going to have a lane and all the coins will be happy? Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, there's there's a sort of the answer is supposed to give here, I think, which is which is a Kumbaya answer. Right? That That's, I think, that's a current sort of like proper answer or, or something like that. I don't know. I mean, you think, yeah, there's some extent to which that's true. But I, I, I think there's a meaningful extent to which... I'm not convinced that we're going to have a billion chains um, with real activity long term. I'm not convinced that it makes sense for us to. Um, I sort of think that, like, I, you know, that what I would guess would be we'd end up in a world where it's more like, you know, each chain has to justify itself. You know, it has to justify why people would choose to use it, especially if they're already using some other chain for something else, you know? And and so I think we're going to end up with more than one chain from that. I don't know that we're going to end up with like, you know, a hundred actively used chains. I don't know that we're going to end up with 10 actively used chains. I think it might be fairly narrow uh, from some perspectives. Well, very quickly, give us three besides Bitcoin and Ethereum, the three most promising blockchains for the coming two years. Nice. Oh, boy. And and obviously, I mean, you've already touched on some of them, right? Like, obviously, Solana is going to be on my on my list there. Um, and, uh, and, and I do think I'm, I'm super excited for it. I mean, I think that it has, you know, done something that very few other chains, I, I think have even thought about trying to do, which is scale. You know, I think that like most chains that, that I, that I look at, I just like, don't get the sense that that scaling is like anywhere on the roadmap, at least not, not really that, that it's just sort of like mostly an afterthought for them. And I think Solana has taken it extremely seriously. And I think they're one of the only chains that has a real plausible path forward here to scaling to the level you would need to get to if you wanted industrial scale usage. So, um, okay, so that that's certainly one that would be on the list. What else would be here? Well, you know, I think I think Avalanche is, it's it's a real chain. It's a cool chain. The team knows their shit and, and has been putting a ton of work into it. And you know, I think they've prioritized maybe different things than I would naturally have done, but I'm not sure they're wrong. And what, like, that's not to say that, like, you know, I know best and they don't, like, they may be right in the end about what to prioritize, but I think that scaling has been less of what they've been looking at than, you know, I would naively have expected. But, but I do think that it is a real chain. I think it's a cool chain. And I think that there's 
a world in which it gets absolutely huge. So that's two, Solana, Avalanche, and? Yeah, and then three. So, well, I mean, one question is like how you feel about like, you know, side chains, layer twos, things like that. I think that like wrappers are like in general probably going to just keep growing over time, right? Mm -hmm. Like as you have a divergence between the chains that have the scale to handle the activity that's being asked of them versus um, I, the chains that the value lives on, right? You sort of have no choice but to like dive deeper and deeper into wrapped assets. And so I think that like, you know, I mean, there's, there's lots of words that people use for this. Sometimes they call them layer twos, side chains, wrappers, you know, whatever. But, but I think fundamentally, like, I expect that that like Bitcoin is going to remain at the center of the crypto ecosystem, but the Bitcoin blockchain might not be the blockchain that Bitcoins usually move along. Very interesting. It's kind of something that Stacks talks a little bit about. Uh, Sam, you know, mentioning Solana, and obviously you have something special there, and you know, you have your Dex uh, serum that, that's built on Solana. You know, the guys there, Anatoly and Raj, the co-founders, kind of rave about you. It's a good segue to ask about which other founders you admire in the space, because you know, when Jeff was mentioning all the multi-chains, each one also comes with personalities, right? You've yep. got the the Charles Hoskinsons, and you've got the Anatolys, and you've got the people behind the scenes. Who are the people that, that you think uh, are getting a lot right as the space kind of grows, but also goes nuts, you know? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I mean, obviously, I, I think that, like, I mean, Tully's brilliant. And, and I think that, like, you know, a lot of what drew to Solana was that they just had, they had a vision in a way that very few people did that was really driving them forward. So I, I think I think that, I think that, like, I mean, Putting aside all disagreements, I think there have been a few platforms that have done an absolutely phenomenal job of scaling. Not not their technology, and maybe their technology, but but their business. I, I think that like I mean, Coinbase and Binance are certainly two of them, which have become absolutely massive and really outcompeted a lot of other players in a really compelling and convincing way over the last you know five years or so. You know, a lot of that has to do with the tone that that a few people there have been setting. So. You know, I, I think that like that's been super impressive. There's, I mean, they're not very high profile, but a lot of the the sort of like you know Wall Street quant firms that are involved in the space have like incredibly strong teams. And uh, and, and again, they don't necessarily talk about it, but but they they do have them. So that that sort of is is maybe another thing that I would that I would cite there. And th- those are some of the ones I think that come to mind most but i think that everywhere we also see a lot of really impressive people playing roles you know in 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 the ecosystem uh i i I certainly think that like as we've started to explore the venture capital space more like we've been really impressed at a lot of the people involved there and and think some of them are just like really incredibly impressive people. That's funny you bring that up, Sam. I'd like to actually ask you about that. We're heading towards wrapping this up, but I find you an interesting figure in the space because you really fly your own flag. A company I cover very closely is Coinbase, but they're very much a product of a Silicon Valley ecosystem. You know, the sway of, you know, Andreessen Horowitz and the kind of Coinbase ecosystem, you know, they sort of are all very much kind of run together. I mean, they all think they're huge iconoclasts, but it's very much a kind of like, uh, you know, it's an ecosystem. So in your case, though, I mean, who are your mentors? 
mentors who, you know, if you have any, who do you trust? Who, you know, who advises you? Give us a few names of the people you think you really admire or go to for vision or help. So, I mean, I'll give a few answers and I mean, they're only sort of answers, but, but, you know, they, they, they are the truth to the extent there is an answer. The first is, I mean, there are some people who are not in the crypto ecosystem who I really admire. You know, I think especially like in the effective altruism community, there are some incredibly impressive people who I have an enormous amount of, of respect for and are doing really amazing things for, you know, for the world with their life. So, so that's sort of one answer. The other thing that I, maybe second thing I'll say is that like, in general, I think that like, I tend to shy away a little bit from saying like, this is the person who is my mentor, who I get my, you know, thoughts or ideas from or, or something like that, because everyone has brilliant thoughts and everyone has dumb thoughts. Like I have brilliant thoughts and I have dumb thoughts. And, and so I think that like, you know, to a decent extent, like when I think about what, what I do, it's like incredibly important that I not ossify my thinking, but that I keep driving forward and I keep pushing myself. I, you know, to say like, why do I think this, you know, where is this coming from? Do I really believe this is true? What are other ideas here? I, and, and so I, I tend not to sort of have like that one person to identify. Um, the, the last thing that I'll say is that like, to the extent that there is someone who I'm like incredibly impressed by, you know, I will, if possible, try to hire them. And, and, and so sometimes the answer is like, you know, they, they, they work at FTX because, because I was very impressed by them. Sam, this has been so much fun. Really appreciate the time. And uh, I want to end on this kind of a, a quick fun one that I ask a lot of people who've been in the space for a long time. And especially us, I mean, you know, me and Jeff, we've been in this a long time. And as mainstream as it's gone, there are still obviously so many people who just kind of can't quite get there with crypto, especially NFTs has been something that people just can't wrap their minds around. And what I want to ask you is, what's your kind of response, unless you don't bother talking to these people, but when people ask you, I'm sure you have people in your life occasionally who are like, I just don't get it all. And is it here to stay? And what do you kind of tell people who are still crypto skeptics? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's, it's really important. I think that that's a big part of the world. And yeah, you could sort of ignore it, but that, you know, I mean, do so at your own peril, really, right? Like, so I think what I'd say is, first of all, that I'm not going to come here and give you confidence. Anything I say is going to be right or the right way to think about this. I think if I, if I did, I'd be bullshitting you, right? Like if I come here and I tell you, like, this is how it is in crypto. I don't know. Stop listening to me. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, cause no one knows for sure what's going to happen, but you know, I think the big thing I'd say is like, look, like I'm not going to take the lamest JPEG NFT that's ever been made and try and convince a skeptic that that is high art. I don't, I don't even know exactly what high art means, but like, whatever I, I i like there's no point in fighting that battle right like i don't even know if, if i think it's it's meaningful right like but let's instead focus on the upside on what this could be acknowledging that it might never get there and 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 that the goal here isn't to prove that it will get here because i certainly don't think i'm going to convince a skeptic of that like my goal is to convince a skeptic that it might that there's a world in which this becomes absolutely massive. And if I can get there, I will settle for that. And so, 
you know, I think that like, look, you know, take NFTs, right? I think there are a lot of things that we use in everyday life, which are basically NFTs. You know, what are some examples? Well, um, tickets are basically NFTs. Song ownership rights, basically NFTs. You know, I think you can look at, uh, well, this is basically an NFT. I mean, video game items, basically an NFT. You guys know how much money people spend annually on video game items? I wrote about that once. It's like $200 billion or something, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's about the number. Um, it's a, an absolutely spectacularly, like colossally large amount. And, and so, you know, I don't know. You think that's not going to become a big thing? Maybe it won't. You know, I'm not going to tell you definitely will. But like, if you're going to tell me it definitely won't, I'm pretty happy to take the other side of that bet. Uh, <laughs> right. And, and like, you know, you look at the financial infrastructure today where you try and send money to someone. Like, have you ever tried to send money to your friend and you don't happen to both use exactly the same weird fintech app? Like, you don't happen to like both use Zelle or whatever as like your main Zelle. I don't, I don't even know what category, right? Like, it's actually like really hard to send like $20 to your brother, right? That's, that's, a, that's not trivial. And that's like the single easiest transfer to do in the world. Imagine trying to send money to your loved ones back home in Nigeria and you're paying 20% and it takes a week um, and it probably doesn't get stolen. Like that, that's not great. And, and then you look at a stable coin transfer and it's like, you know, I mean, on some blockchains, like, you know, one second and it costs a hundredth of a penny and then it's there. Now it doesn't solve the whole problem unless merchants accept it, right? If you never get that adoption, then you're not solving the hard problem of remittances with stable coins. But if you do, if merchants start accepting stable coins for bananas, right, then all of a sudden remittances are trivial. And so, again, maybe we never get there. I'd be sad, but it's totally plausible. But but maybe we do. And that's the big thing that I would say is just like, I feel really wow. convinced that there's really, really high upside here. Well, Sam, you're a trader who's made his name and a lot of money making big bets on things you think are right. So I think, uh, you know, I, th I think you're probably right on the video game NFT and the remittance thing. But anyways, it's been a really fascinating conversation. You know, you have a lot of really original ideas. And uh, thanks for being so generous with, with your time with us. Thanks, Sam. Oh, thank you, guys. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen. And we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.